the midweek exception mini episode number three as the second round of the NBA playoffs has just begun. Hi, I'm John, and joining me today is Grant. How's everybody doing today? Hope you are doing good in this great second round of the playoffs. Yeah, man, like it is it. I feel like the first round went so quickly and we only really got one series that went all the way through to a game seven in the the Clippers and the Spurs, which I think was such a good series, like arguably one of the best seven game first round matches I've ever seen. Maybe best like seven game series I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I mean, that was unbelievable. And I'm just glad it lived up to everyone's expectations because going into that series, we all saw that as, wow, first of all, it's bullshit. They have to play each other. Second of all, are there, like, those are arguably, you know, two of the top teams that could easily have been a conference finals. And we got it in the first round. And I'm just glad it lived up to the expectations. Um, I wasn't even that. Like, obviously, I think I was pulling for the Spurs because uh, of the possibility that it's Tim Duncan's last game. But I was even fine with the way the Clippers won. It was an amazing series. And, Again, and for it to end on a last second shot, too, that was just, it was fitting. It worked out really well. And it didn't disappoint like the other event from that same evening. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, I was playing for the Spurs as well. I really wanted to see them, you know, hopefully maybe get to at least a Western Conference Finals or something like that. But you, I mean, outside of the way that that game ended with the weird thing, like the clock went off or whatever, and, and I, you also have to give props to like Doc Rivers and then also like the Clipper fan base for booing when that happened because like this shows like the amount of like just the level of like want of everyone just wanting that game to end with an actual like legit final shot attempt like you know like I, I yeah, feel like I feel like I'm a, I mean absolutely yeah I feel like it's kind of like shitty of me to like, throw a ton of like blame on like the refs and stuff because I feel like no matter how that play like was drawn up i think the clips are going to win that game like it would have had to be a ridiculous shot if they were going for the same tip and play that they did with um Kawhi at the end of the game i feel like it wouldn't have worked i feel like barnes would have probably gotten over gotten over by him and blocked the shot or whatever but um you know it, it's funny because like people dwell on that last play and how it looked before the clock error and then after it where it obviously didn't work out and like the second time around, you can totally tell Barnes has a better idea of what's going to happen. He stops focusing on Bellinelli, you know? Yeah, okay, but I will say I'm pretty positive that Spurs had a timeout left, and I don't buy Pop's argument for not using He said something along the lines of, there's only a few plays you can draw up with one second left. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to call a timeout and you know plan a new one, which one second is a lot of time. And if you have the ball, if you know if you get the advancement of the ball and you have it in the half court set, it's a lot of time to get a decent shot up. I mean, you can't really dribble, but you can draw up a different place that screens for a different shooter and get that person open. Um, I really think he probably should have used that time. And for me. I was looking, honestly, for almost an elevator play with Bellinelli, having the two bigs either to kind of double screen his guy coming up the center and either have Bellinelli shoot a three and and then have a wrinkle in it where if Bellinelli doesn't get open on those screens, they either have Tim Duncan or like Boris Diaw roll to the basket for a tip in, something like that. There just There's a lot of different things that I think could have been done if he had called the timeout. He could have called up a different play because that is also that's plenty of time to get a three-point shooter open and possibly go for the win there. 
Um, so that being said, I don't. I mean, the clocks running was a bunch of BS, and that is that does ruin that one play. But like you said, I think the Clippers win regardless. I, there are other things the Spurs could have done, Pop could have done, you know, after that had happened, done something differently. So the fact that Barnes knew it was coming was kind of almost the Spurs' own fault for not drawing something different up. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think even getting themselves into the situation they were in with the Game 7, and even in that game, like, it coming down to a final shot, like, there are things Pop could have done with those rotations and stuff like that, but, you know, it's kind of like, Hindsight is 2020, and that team really wasn't even at full strength throughout. And I mean, at the end of the day, like it, it was, it was heartwarming in a way at the very end to see Duncan go up to Blake Griffin, give him a hug. Same thing with him and Chris Paul, and just like seeing that level of respect between those two teams, and like seeing that both fan bases at no point were like really hostile towards each other, and just being like respect. You know, it was a, it was a hell of a series, and. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the best series we get throughout these playoffs. I will say what could have been an equally as good series had both teams been healthy is a, the second round matchup of the Grizzlies and the Warriors. If you would have told me these two teams were meeting a month ago, I'd have said game seven. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't look like we are going to get that because of Mike Conley's injury and the fact that he will not be there because they have already played one game in their second round matchup and that happened yesterday and it was pretty much for lack of a better term an ass beating um the warriors had control of this game for the entirety like the entire time that was just it they were winning i mean the grizz had a decent second quarter but then they threw up a classic turd quarter in the third and all you know only scored 14 points, which you can't really do when you're trying to come back. Um, had both these two teams been healthy, though, I really like the Grizzlies' defensive matchups against the Warriors. I like the idea of Conley harassing Stephen Curry. I think we're kind of almost robbed of what could have been a great second-round matchup with uh, this Grizz-Warriors series. What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think losing Conley is so huge. Is he going to be out for the entire series? Or I know he's out game one. He could come back for game two, though, right? Um, I would highly doubt he comes back for game two. All signs kind of point to him being out at least another game, if not mm-hmm. two. Um, but he was saying just Conley's whole face is just entirely swell up and comparing it to the Westbrook injury from earlier. Russell had a lot of the swelling had subsided and was kind of it was easy to play through, whereas Conley still looks... I think, oh, I think it was Jalen Rose who had said Conley looks like he he's a prize fighter on Sunday morning after a Saturday night fight still. So, <laughs> yeah, man. I it mean, was, if, he, if his face is like that, he can't play through that. You just can't. For sure, yeah. I mean, like, it, that's definitely, I mean, you have when you have Conley being able to chase around MVP winner, Steph Curry, shout out, like, Having him defensively for that team is so huge, and also with Conley, he's he's like one of those criminally underrated point guards. I think, like he's yeah, so good. At, yeah, at this point, he's almost so underrated. He's overrated, right? But he, and people say, you know, people say that, but he's never actually gotten overrated. Where he's like made a made an all star team or anything, he's consistently an underrated point guard. And people like a lot of you know more hardcore NBA fans see. His uh, he sees his value, see what he does, but the average NBA fan has no idea the 
like sig- like the significance that Mike Conley is to that Memphis Grizzlies team. I mean, he, he really he makes that team go. I know there's Zach Randolph and Marcus All, but Marcus All he's having a decent he's having a decent playoffs. He put up a decent game yesterday, but as you can see, he's not going to be able to single-handedly win this series. They need, you know, their big three in Zebo, Marcus All, and Conley to really do some damage here. Yeah, and that's the funny thing is that like the one point I wanted to bring up was there is a point in the game where the uh, the bigs for the Warriors were in foul trouble, and that was like the point. Even in the uh, post game conference with Dave Yeager, the uh, reporter was saying like, "Were you disappointed? The guys didn't make a push then with Zebo and with Gasol?" And he was like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, you you never can really quite judge what happens. And shots just don't fall down. But like, man, when like when you have like." one of the best centers in the NBA and a great power forward and Zach Randolph, like you have to put something up during that stretch. Like when you have guys in foul trouble, meaning like the Warriors are in foul trouble, when like they can take advantage of like a matchup like that, like you have to take advantage of it and they just didn't. So, you know, it's, it's a shame that it goes back to what you said though. It's like, we're almost being robbed of like a really, really good series because of Conley's injury. I mean, Hopefully he can come back for game two. Unlikely, kind of like you said. Game three comes back. You know, maybe they take one in Memphis. But it's um, it's it's, it's a damn shame, especially because the Grizzlies were so good in that first like half of the regular season. You know. Yeah, and people need to also remember that this is a Memphis Grizzlies team that's been to the conference finals that upset. Um, you know, a Spurs team a couple of years ago. This is a team that's been around, that's been there. I mean, that core has been there. Zebo's been there. Gasol's been there. Conley's been there. It's just a series that really would have tested the Warriors too. And I think where this should this year should be able to tell us, you know, if the Warriors are basically going to win the title or not. Because if they got past a healthy Memphis Grizzlies team, I think there's no doubt in my mind that they're just, they're going to be able to win the title. But now it kind of it leaves a lot of you know question marks. Now, granted, it does not when the when the Warriors end up winning this series, it does not taint their victory any less. It just you know it leaves those question marks still, like with you know the old age old adage that you know a jump shooting team has never won a championship. And if you can get by a Memphis Grizzlies, a healthy Memphis Grizzlies defense, I think that is pretty much a wash. Yeah. However, now you know again with. Conley not up there just harassing Stephen Curry like he could have been could have been doing again at least a little bit of question marks you don't really know going forward what's going to happen in the conference finals and like just think about it this way uh, you got Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry who are kind of the focal point a lot of the Warriors offense you have two you know all defensive NBA guards going up against them in Conley and Tony Allen. Like, just imagine the backcourt matchup, offense versus defense. Like, that would have been amazing to watch. Yeah, for sure. It would have been incredible, and I completely agree. I think there are still questions that will not be answered from this series. It's like what you said, if they beat a healthy Memphis Grizzlies team with that incredible defense that they play, that lockdown defense... If they get past that, then it, to me, it's it's no question that they're going the the finals, you know, and probably but, winning the finals, probably winning the finals. But like, so now, I guess this kind of like is a good way to lean to our next matchup. We should talk about the Clippers and the Rockets, because one of those teams obviously is going to play the Warriors. Um, 
it's it's interesting to consider like between the two teams. I guess like most basic way to ask this, like who do you think takes it between Clippers and Rockets? That's because- a, it's a tough question. I'm kind of on the fence. I would not be surprised to see this also go seven games. I think this is similar to that um, Spurs matchup where this is another matchup where this could easily be a conference finals matchup. These are two of the top three teams. Like Both these teams should be, you know, have moved on. Both these teams could easily make a case to be in the conference finals. However, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be the Rockets, and I really just think it's going to be because the Clippers are going to be too tired. I mean, they're playing like a six- or seven-man rotation, if that, you know, some games. They're relying so much on their starting five throughout that first series that's already gone seven games to go up against, you know, a Rockets team where James Harden's going to be keeping everybody on their heels. It's going to be a fast-paced game, and then you've got, you know, Trevor Ariza, who's going to be playing defense. You've got Dwight Howard looking healthy, looking kind of like exactly what he's supposed to be doing, basically just getting alley-oops and playing defense and getting rebounds, which is exactly what you need from him. It's just going to be really hard for the Clippers to outlast the Rockets just because they're going to, they're going to be tired. And, I mean, even just the emotion that went through that first-round series, the Clippers have to be absolutely drained right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the one thing I have in my notes underlined like seven times, this is going to be a battle of the benches, I think. I think the Clippers starting five is superior to the Rockets, in my opinion. Maybe not I, by I'd much. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think, you know, obviously Chris Paul is, the be- in my opinion, is the best point guard in the league right now. Um, You have him, obviously. Then J.J. Redick has looked pretty damn good. I mean, it's the thing that I feel like every episode at some point I have to reiterate. J.J. Redick is in the scrub. He's, he's fucking falling out there right now. Um, Matt Barnes is being fucking Barnes, you know, doing his thing. Um, Blake Griffin looking good, coming off a triple-double. DeAndre Jordan maybe not getting hacked so much. Um, but, like, what bench do the Clippers have, you know? I mean, it's not much, especially going up against a bench of Corey Brewer, who's looked good. Josh Smith, who's looked pretty damn good lately, too. Um, Even Prigioni has been yeah. playing well. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, I think one of those, like, unexpected, maybe not even unexpectedly, but, like, just, like, a really good bench for that Rockets team. I feel like they will be able to just outscore and just dominate the bench of the the Clippers and that ultimately even if the Rockets starting five aren't as good just like the the way that the bench can just bring them back into games will be enough to ultimately give them the series I think it goes six games probably maybe seven I would be completely okay with the seven game series for that but um in my heart I really want the Clippers to go because I love whenever the narrative pops up of like you have to go through the champions like a really damn good team. I always want that team to make a really good push. But I feel like this it's just not gonna work out for the Clippers, which is a damn shame, but I feel like it's gonna be it's gonna go to the Rockets, I think. Also I have to mention that Chris Paul could very well be simply hobbled for this series. Um I know I think they listed him as questionable. I think it's without a doubt he's playing. But if he's playing on a tweaked hamstring, 
that's going to be a rough. I mean, someone like him can kind of hang back and facil- facilitate some more, but when the Clippers are at their best, it's when Chris Paul is running up and down the floor, pulling up from three, pulling up from his jump shot, and just adding that element of his game. So then the next time down, he, you know, pump fakes or just passes it straight to Blake for a wide-open, you know, dunk. Things like that. That is a fundamental part of the Clippers' offense, and if he's hobbled a little bit, that does hurt them as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's... It's a shame. I feel like if Chris Paul never gets a ring, I'll be really, really upset and disappointed. Like, yeah, people complain about like flopping and stuff like that from him, but like he's just such a good point guard that it would be a crime if he never made it to the NBA finals and never got a ring from it, I think. Um any other thoughts for that matchup or do you want to move on to um the Eastern Conference stuff? I think we're probably ready to move on to the Eastern Conference. Cool. So before we go into that, I want to give a shout out to the R Baseball podcast. Um, we've been over the last couple of weeks, like sponsoring them and talking about them on our show. Um, this is a really, really good MLB podcast that has saved my ass already in one week of fantasy baseball. I just inherited a team and I need a lot of help. So I've been listening to them going back to past episodes to hear who they think is going to be a really good, solid players to pick up. So yeah, go on iTunes, look for them at, uh, it's just R, like the letter R, and then baseball, and they'll pop up. Really good podcast. Check it out. Um, and then, yeah, also, if you want to, you can find us on deafpenradio.com. is another way to stream episodes. So for the Eastern Conference, let's do Hawks and Wizards first. Yeah, because we already have one game from them, which is pretty unbelievable, seeing as the Hawks finished their first-round series uh, I think th- two days or three days ago, had mm-hmm. one day off and then started their second round series against a Wizards team that swept their opponent in the first round. And remember, the Hawks game, the Hawks series did only go six games. So basically, their first game of this series was supposed to be the game seven of the Hawks series. So hopefully that puts in perspective how little rest the Atlanta Hawks have had in this playoff. And I I personally think that is extremely unfair scheduling. I understand that they need to get series going. And, I mean, I'm biased. I like the fact that the Bulls didn't have to go first and they get the extra day off. But that is extremely unfair to the Hawks, and I don't know who is in charge of scheduling. But to me, I think it's ridiculous that a team only has one day off in between series, especially after a hard-fought series. Like, this is the playoffs, and you already have no rest to begin with. Now you advance, you take care of business, you do your job, and all of a sudden you're starting a, an entirely new opponent off, you know, three times the amount of rest you are. Yeah, for sure. Quick note about no rest, actually, during the uh, Bulls and Cavs series that we're going to jump into after this. Wednesday, Thursday is a back-to-back for the Bulls and Cavs. I just looked it up. How the hell do you have back-to-backs in the playoffs? I don't I have, understand it. Like, I, I get have, that they're trying to cram games, and it's, you know, like 40 games and 40 nights or whatever the hell they call it, yeah. but... Let's get out of the Stone Age. Yeah, like, players need some rest. When you, I, I, again, I get it's the playoffs, but players simply need at least one day of rest. You cannot ask teams to go out there and play back to backs in the playoffs when you are going back and forth playing the most physical, grueling basketball of the entire year after playing an 82 game regular season that's already crammed a short enough amount of time. Now you're going to add back to backs. This is getting ridiculous, and scheduling needs to be overhauled. And this is a rant yeah. for a different time, I know. 
Yeah. But I'm sorry. Like this just came up, and I just I feel so bad for the Hawks because the second I saw that the Hawks were coming off one day rest to go into this series, I realized the Wizards are going to be in the conference finals. And game one, I think, really showed that to me. The Wizards won 104 to 98. However, I didn't think it was that close. I mean, Atlanta came out to a hot start, but it was pretty much all whiz the rest of the game. Really, it just looked like, guess what? Atlanta was tired. You know, I feel like Atlanta definitely had like a really, really hot start in that game. But at a certain point, I don't know really what happened. I think the Wizards just like flipped the switch and they just really battled back hard in that series. And ultimately... um, or not series, rather in that game, and like it's it's insane looking at some of these stat lines. You have Paul Pierce putting up 19 points in that game, which I don't know. I think it's crazy that he's you know putting up those kind of numbers at the age he's at 37 years old, and the fact that people look at him kind of as like oh, it's washed up player, and not really washed up, but you know he didn't contribute very much on the Nets, which can be a, a chemistry problem. But yeah, sorry, go ahead with what you were saying. Yeah, no, I mean, I was pretty much done with my unnecessary rant about rest. Um, but, I mean, I totally agree. Paul Pierce is just unbelievable at the moment. And it, it looks like it's just purely confidence almost. He's just playing the perfect old man game. He's getting, he's basically the Tim Duncan of wings right now. He's just getting up and down the court and doing his job and hitting just huge shots like it's nothing. But the guy I really want to talk about is someone who has vaulted himself into the top five point guard conversation arguably should make you know an all nba team this year and that's john wall he's been playing out of his mind i mean 18 points 13 assists seven rebounds three blocks and a steal like really he's just having a huge huge playoff run and i think like the guy you were just talking about paul pierce is a huge part of it i think paul pierce is kind of imparting a lot of his wisdom on John Wall because I think John Wall came into the league, I liked him, but he's kind of like that more almost like a cocky little kid, you know, kind of thought his shit didn't stink for a while. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with that. You need that in a player. But, you know, he, he didn't really accomplish much until last season, and then, you know, he really put himself on the map. Now he's coming off huge playoff wins after sweeping the Raptors and then upsetting – the number one seed, he comes in and says basically like, you know, that first game means nothing. Cool. We won. We need three more wins. One win means nothing in the playoffs. Any team can come back from a, you know, 0-1 deficit. We need to come out with the same intensity. We need to get out and we need to play even better than we played today if we want to beat this team. And I mean, that's just, those are veteran words. You know, a young point guard in his first, you know, year in the league probably wouldn't say that after a huge win like that. He'd probably be a lot more excited. John Wall looked like he could care less about that win. Like his face didn't show any excitement or nothing. He's, he was all business all day. And again, all this is starting to contribute to, I mean, it's going to be, I think, Wiz and Six for this series because I don't see, it just seems like the great players on the Wizards are just going to outweigh the teamwork of the Hawks. And that's not to take anything away from guys like Al Horford and Jeff Teague, who are all-stars and deserving so, even Paul Millsap. But the fact that the Hawks just rely on so many different players to contribute for them instead of kind of having the premier focal, you know, John Wall, Bradley Beal backcourt, you know, Paul Pearson, they've got, you know, veteran bigs and Nay and Gortat just kind of taking care of business and not being relied on too much. But I just think the 
you know, the th- trio of Pierce, Wall, and Beal is going to be too much for this Hawks team. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to hit you up with some numbers of John Wall in the playoffs right now. So his first game was obviously pretty bad. Uh, 10 points, 8 assists, which, not terrible, ten, uh, 6 rebounds. So kind of flirting with a triple-double, whatever. But for the entirety of the playoffs, 17.4 points. 12.6 assists, and the last game was his third best game in the playoffs, assist-wise. Previously, he had 17 assists, 15, and then 13 for the last game, and then the series finale between them and Toronto, he had 10 assists. So, of the five games, he's had double-digit assists in four of them. Like, yeah. I'm ready to throw something out there that I don't know if you'll agree with. I know you said top five point guards, I'm willing to throw him into probably like top. I, I could do top three. I think honestly, like. So who's ahead of him? Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. I was. Oh shit! I forgot about Westbrook. God damn it! So okay, okay. No, it's top five then. I forgot about Westbrook because I was gonna say. I was gonna say um Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Wall, but now it suddenly it, it makes more sense that Westbrook goes before. Probably maybe before Steph Curry though. Uh I don't know. That's that's tough. I'd say those top three I mean, okay, Chris Paul, probably the best point guard, but I'd say there's a case for any of Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul as the top point guard. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think there's enough of a case for John Wall to be better than any of those three. So I put him right at number four right now. And it four. would be I'm trying. I'm racking my brain for a different point guard that is better than him, and I mean, obviously, the bias in me says healthy Derrick Rose, but we haven't seen mm-hmm. that Derrick Rose yeah. in a while. You can't. You you know, you have to give it to John Wall right now, and I mean, there's a lot of great point guards in the league, but I think John Wall has vaulted himself into that top five conversation. And to quickly put in her his assistant perspe- perspective really quick, uh, he had 13 assists. The Wizards had a total of 18 assists. Yep. Like, that is a huge percentage of their team assists, and that just shows what he's going out and he's doing. And he's, like, not only is he creating for his teammates, but his team's also hitting the shots, which is another thing to say about the Wizards, is they're knocking down their open shots, they're doing what they have to do, and they just seem to be firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. with, like, Otto fucking Porter yep. all of a sudden learned how to play basketball in the playoffs. He's shooting, you know, 50% and putting up 10 points and 11 rebounds, you know, in his in his minutes, which is no one would have guessed that, you know, even two months ago when you watched him forget where he was when Tony Snow was running across the court. Yeah, in exactly. The most, in the one of the best binds of all of, of the entire season. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. However, I do want to make a small case for the Hawks here. I think we need to respect them a little bit. Now, my official prediction, prediction is Wiz and Six, but... Should we have forgotten about how great the Hawks were at, in, during the first half of the season and, like, not losing for over a month? Yeah. Like, does, that, does that play a factor here? I feel like this is where I need my notes. I feel like, and I mean, it, it does play a factor, I think. I think it's something that is of note, but I feel like the teams that are beating up in that first and during that stretch weren't... I mean, it, no, no matter what, it's an impressive thing to do to be able to, you know, how many wins is it? Like 16? It was like 16 or 17, something. And then it was like over the course of an entire month. Or... 
yeah, it was something completely ridiculous like that. I mean, I'd have to go back and kind of look at who they were beating up. I know there were obviously some like elite teams in there, but I think a lot of it was just kind of like, uh, like you you should beat them kind of teams. But I mean, regardless, like it it, it sucks to see Atlanta. I mean, obviously the series with Brooklyn, like what they took it in the six, right? Yes. Like, like that shouldn't have been a it shouldn't have been a six game series. I don't think so. I think it should have been sweep, maybe five. You know, credit to Brooklyn. Obviously, they played really good basketball. They no one expected a Darren Williams turn back the clock game, though. Yeah, no, exactly. No one, no one saw that coming. But um, yeah, you know, it's it going back to the win streak stuff. I, I it, it plays a factor, I think, but like. Just the the Hawks, even after the All-Star break, though, like, they still were a great team, obviously. I mean, number one seed, you can't discredit them for that. But, like, they didn't look as sharp, I think. And, you know, there was panic even within the, the Atlanta fan base of, like, well, what's going on with this team right now? Why are we not, you know, like, why are we not winning the games that we used to? Like, it's, you know, something's going on. Obviously, stuff with Tava Cephalosha is... Maybe not so a distraction, but obviously it really sucks for them not having him around and all that drama. So it's it's tough. I mean, I'm I'm agreeing. I think Wiz take it in six, but I don't know. I feel like like I can't see any scenario where I think the Hawks pull it off and win it. Which well, I mean, can you also see a scenario where the Hawks shoot? below 40% from the field again in this series. They shot, what, 37.9 or something like that? Yeah, they shot 38% from the field and 34% from three. Um, Both fairly uncharacteristic of their team. I mean, Jeff Teague and Kyle Kyle Corver went three for 11 from three. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that they will shoot this poorly from three again this series and even from the field because they are such a you know scoring team so i don't know i think it'll be a lot closer hopefully we see more of the 37 point offense than you know we do with the like you know 15 point offense in the fourth quarter yeah definitely definitely i would uh, i would agree to that um so i think another series or i guess the next series the last one to dive into is going to be the chicago bulls and the cleveland cavaliers which you know, obviously, we're hosting our site on, or we're hosting our, we're hosting our podcast on a Chicago Bulls biased website. But I think we can kind of talk objectively about this matchup between these two teams because this is like everyone in the NBA, all the fans are buzzed for this. Like, this is a huge matchup just to see LeBron take on the Bulls again. Um, you know, Cleveland obviously making a push for a title, which I mean, if they end up getting past Chicago in this matchup will be in these conference finals and then, you know, could very well go on to the finals. So I think, you know, Cleveland is obviously missing Kevin Love. They're missing J.R. Smith for two games. The Bulls are at full strength, though. So it's a tough series to predict. Um, There was a person on Reddit who was like threw out a little poll or something. It seemed like most people are saying Cavs in six, but then the next result was saying Bulls in six. So it seems like no matter what, people don't think it's going to a game seven. And I think that we have to look at the effect of losing both 
Kevin Love, and then losing J.R. Smith for the first two games of the series. So like, how valuable do you think Kevin Love is to that Cavs team, and how much do you think it's going to affect how they perform in the playoffs against the Bulls? Okay, I think we actually disagree on this. and I've come around slightly. However, when I first was faced with the news that Kevin Love was out for the series, I didn't think it affected the series as a whole that much. This is not to discredit Kevin Love as a player. I still think he is a great player. Uh, he's a huge part of, of the, the future of the Cavs, the future of some organization. However, I just think the fact that they have other veterans on in their lineup that can step in that have been in big games themselves and that you know know how to play the game right, know how to play playoff basketball. I just don't think it affects the series as a whole that much. I'm looking for LeBron to drop down to the four, um, and then he would be most likely tasked with guarding Joakim Noah, which Joakim Noah has pretty much done nothing on offense this entire playoffs, basically this entire season. I don't think that's a hard matchup for LeBron defensively. I think maybe on the boards that's tough, but LeBron can his, as we all know, um, seeing as he averages, you know, like seven or eight assists a year in and year out, or uh, rebounds year in and year out. Um, I think the, if LeBron drops down to the four and they insert like a guy like Mike Miller or James Jones, uh, these first couple games with Jr. I think they basically have the same offense because Kevin Love primarily on that uh, team was 20 feet and out. He was a shooter. He was not, you know, a post-up player. He was not, you know, starting, uh, posting up, and then working his way out. He was pretty much just a shooter. And I think their floor gets struck just as much with James Jones or Mike Miller on the floor as Mike Miller has proven he can come into big games and play even when he hasn't been that good throughout the season as he did with the Heat. Um, and again, I just think the they kind of almost made Kevin Love one-dimensional throughout this season in the fact that he was on the court to spread the floor and be a stretch four. And I think you can get a lot of similar characteristics to that game with the veterans that are on their bench right now. Totally. Um, so I'm going to agree on LeBron going down to four. I think that's totally what happens. I think it's the best thing for that thing for that team because I feel like Tristan Thompson off the bench is huge for them. Like I don't know if I'm overselling it a little bit, but I feel like he's been so important off the bench. Like whether it's grabbing boards, you know, hell, he's like he's every time he plays the Bulls, he kills them. Like he's keeping offensive board off their offensive board, extra possessions, all that kind of stuff. But I feel like the loss of Kevin Love is absolutely massive to the Cavs' success in this series in that they can't stretch the floor nearly as... I mean, I guess in theory, if you put LeBron down to the floor, they can still stretch the floor relatively well. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like by inserting a Mike Miller into like the offense for that team, like... Not that he can't still knock down shots, because of course he can. Like it, it's a huge discredit to claim like oh he's washed up, he's done or anything like that. I mean, there's a reason why he's still in the NBA. I feel like he would drop out if he felt like he couldn't keep playing up to like a high level. But I feel like defensively, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Bulls do like with that team. I mean, like so we we can assume Jimmy Butler 
Is Jimmy going to be on LeBron? Like, no matter I'd what. I'd be shocked if he was not. I would, I think this is one of those series where Tibbs says, I know we have our defense and we're not supposed to be scared of anybody, but Jimmy, you're going to stick on LeBron the entire time. Everyone else do their job, you know, be ready to help. But Jimmy, you are never going to leave LeBron's side. I think that's pretty much what we saw with Luol Deng historically is I'm going to stick one guy on you, LeBron, and he is going to guard you one-on-one going to let you shoot jumpers, but damn it, you are going to get your ass kicked if you come to the rim. Definitely. I think, so keeping that in mind, then where does that put certain other players on the Bulls? Because, like, like, where do you play Noah then? Like, is he just going to be kind of, like, lurking around, like, ready to help where he can? Um, do, you, do you put him closer to the paint? I mean, granted, I don't think there's going to be as massive of like a threat in the painted area, but you know, they could drop it off to Mozgov or something like that. Um, I don't know really like what you do with the other Bulls players on defense then if you have, so we can assume it's going to be Rose on Irving. Jimmy's going to be stuck on LeBron that whole game. I imagine Dunleavy probably matching up with Shumpert or, Maybe maybe Miller if Miller's in there or something like that. Um, like I don't know. Like what what do you think the like the defensive scheme for the Bulls exactly is going to look like? Like are they gonna not play as tight of like a man like a man on man like kind of game, or are they gonna do kind of more like a zone thing, or what do you think? To be honest, I have no idea. Um, yeah. I would like to hope that Tibbs starts messing around with rotations, seeing as this is going to be a really interesting matchup, like with a guy like LeBron at the four and then you know basically playing three wings at at once it's gonna be interesting to see what Tibbs does because on paper the you know the one to five starters for the Bulls probably shouldn't be out there at that time it should probably be almost more like Gibson playing for either Powell or Joakim um because I think Joakim has struggled significantly you know chasing people around the perimeter this year so I really have no idea what to expect um I mean, I think we all know Tibbs is going to put out his one through five starters to start the game. It's just going to be about his substitutions and then his rotations uh, afterwards. And I do expect him to um, limit the amount of minutes that Powell and Joakim play together. And I think we started seeing that towards the end of the Bucks series. So really, defensively, Tibbs could honestly do anything. Um I like. I'm thinking it's probably gonna be more man to man, and he's gonna kind of stick to what they do and try to limit the help. But again, when you're playing a guy like LeBron, you're gonna have to help at some point, and you're gonna have to also stuff the lane. And I think uh, the one thing I think we know we're gonna see is he's gonna try to get LeBron to shoot jumpers and keep the ball out of Kyrie Irving's hand. I think he'll let anybody else on that team do whatever they want. As long as he limits Kyrie Irving's touches and LeBron is being is jump shooting, because another reason why I think the Cavs could thrive at the four is because the last couple of years I think we've seen LeBron is better when he's more of a post up player and when he's attacking the rim, versus being more of a small forward where he's running around taking jumpers and then you know cutting things like that. So this the way this series is going to be played is going to be really interesting to see and especially just like you're saying with the Tibbs. I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, what do you think? You know, for me, I think for so we, I, I think we both kind of established LeBron will be the four 
if not if he's not he should be because that would be really big for that team i think i think we're gonna see some notes of what happened in the finals last year with the spurs and lebron where essentially you know Kawhi played as good of defense as you can on lebron i think like he he played him tight he did what he could but at the end of the day lebron is just gonna score like there's not a hell of a lot you can do about it but yeah, I mean, he's bigger and stronger than anybody who's guarding him. Right. Basically. But you can do what you can to limit his ability to facilitate to other players and to disrupt other players' shots. I mean, there is a statistic I was looking at a couple days ago where it, assuming Jimmy is on LeBron, Jimmy's done an excellent job so far in the playoffs. I think he's allowing like 35% opponent field goals or 33 or 35% opponent uh for opponents like shooting on him which is really really good like arguably one of the best but yeah i guess consider also who they were facing in the first round the bucks not to say anything bad about them because they put up a really damn good series against the bulls um taking what happened against the bucks where they're facing the number two defensive team the bulls were facing number two defensive team i feel like going into this series the bulls offense is going to look significantly more competent i feel like the turnovers are going to go down a lot um obviously they're facing a far more talented team so it's tough i feel like i'm totally playing into the hand of like the homer in me i feel like the bulls can take it in six i feel like the bulls bench is going to step up perform make some big shots um miritich didn't have an incredible series against the Bucks. we have to consider that he also got injured during that series as well. I feel like Tibbs is going to sort out some of his rotation issues. So I feel like there were some really, really spotty points in the last series where Tibbs was, you know, limiting some guys' minutes and stuff like that for no really good reason whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I see the Bulls taking in six. Um, I could see it going to seven, though. What do you think? I am going to not play into my inner homer. I think it's going to be the Cavs in seven. Um, I think it's going to be, it's going to rival the Spurs Clippers series. I think it's going to be a really tight series. It's going to be back and forth the entire time, but the home team in game seven is going to find a way to win. And that's going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I think that atmosphere in Cleveland is going to be ridiculous. That game seven is going to be loud and, I mean, I think LeBron is just going to take over and remind everyone that he is, you know, the best player on in the world, and there's a reason that he's been to four finals in a row. Um, I mean, I, I will be honest, I want the Bulls to win. Um, I think that's no secret. But when it's all said and done, deep down my gut tells me the Cavs find a way to pull it out and the Bulls are kind of left speechless again wishing you know they made that one basket in game six to win or something like that it's gonna right. be a close series i like i like i said it's gonna be like the clipper series where the entire series is gonna be i think just decided by like less than 15 points i can see that being the case definitely i guess you know i can take into consideration is that the bulls and the Cavs. every time they met up in the regular season they were neither team was at full strength at any point if i recall correctly yeah, so, well, the Bulls definitely weren't. Yeah, yeah, the Bulls definitely weren't. Um, 
I feel like maybe LeBron was out for one of the games. Um, I could be on a sabbatical. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like all sorts of shit was going on then. Um, maybe maybe it was like love was out or something. I don't remember. But um, so it'll be a really really fun series to watch. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I'm trying to think if there's really much other like NBA news or anything to dive into. I mean, I guess really the second round matchups right now are the big thing. So, is there anything that you want to jump into, or are we pretty much good? Yeah, who do you think will be the second round MVP? Across, not Eastern, Western, just NBA second round MVP. Who do you think is going to steal the second round? James Harden. <laughs> like, obviously, I mean, I feel like this is totally buying the, like, the idea of like narratives and stuff, and that, oh, he's pissed off that he didn't get the actual MVP, so he's going to turn it up. I could see it happening. I see Harden is completely going off killing it um so yeah i mean if i could see it being hard in in the east though i could see i could see it going john wall i could see yeah. him going nuts you know i'll be honest i'm torn between john wall and jimmy butler right now even if the bulls lose that series i think jimmy butler is going to really put himself on the map not that he didn't in the regular season but for everyone who you know just watched the playoffs and pay attention that much doesn't watch the bulls as much and there's kind of confused why jimmy butler is going to be offered a max contract i think he's going to prove it this series i think he's going to lock down lebron as much as you can on defense and i think he's going to keep averaging in the 20s and points i mean he has been the lifeblood of this bulls team in the playoffs so far and i just think his confidence is going to keep rising he's going to just keep playing better so because we mentioned john wall earlier and because you took james harden um i think jimmy butler is going to steal the show i can see that being the case i could see him for the bulls being absolutely huge even if they do get eliminated and you know i mean good for him i mean when the hell is the most improved player going to be announced so no today they announced curry for mvp tomorrow they just like forget that it's an award i think they forget about it I feel like most improved should come before MVP, but I could be wrong. Maybe they're trying to pull the like, well, maybe next year, you know, something extra in store, you know, like, oh, look for this guy next season. Oh, that NBA marketing team. Clever. So innovative and clever, yeah. I'm telling you, man. They got all sorts of tricks up their sleeve. But um, I think that's going to do it for this podcast. Um, So I guess doing some like planning on the air do you think maybe we should do the next one after two games have been completed in the series so i guess after the so yeah. some series will be at two games some will be at like three yeah just, or some guess, will be going into their third some will be going into their fourth i should say yeah definitely i think that'd be kind of a, a good way to go about this because then you know we get to keep talking about all the exciting stuff going on with hoops and all that fun stuff yeah that sounds good to me so everyone be on the lookout Definitely. Um, so if you want to, you definitely should do this. Look for us on iTunes. Um, our name is The Midweek Exception. I assume you would know that if you're listening to the podcast. Um, we really appreciate any subscriptions, any sort of ratings you can give us, reviews, all that fun stuff. You can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts. We don't have a Stitcher account yet. It's in the works. Um, look for us on Twitter at MWException. Also, you can listen to us on Def Pen Radio if you want as well. Otherwise, enjoy the first couple games of the second round, the uh, second round series, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.